Well, welcome to the podcast for Fremont First United Methodist Church. My name is Bill, and this is Jill. And I'm the Director of Discipleship here at the church, and Bill is the Senior Pastor, and we are so excited to be back with you for, I don't know, for Episode 2. Right. So we've been going through uh, a little more in-depth on what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. Uh, this is a chance to unpack a little more of uh, the theology, the history, or the context, uh, stuff that just wouldn't fit into a, a 20 to 25-minute sermon, but that's just so fascinating and, and we both think really important for our faith. Absolutely. And especially now, since we're going through the book of Revelation, which is arguably one of the most misunderstood slash confusing books of the Bible. So this is nice. I think, yeah, I think it's definitely got to be that. I mean, when I when I see somebody, like, quote Revelation publicly, not a pastor, but just, like, an average person, i got to be honest, I always kind of pause, and there's that feeling of, like, oh, no, what's about to happen? Because I feel like this book yes. is just it's so consistently butchered and abused, and I feel bad for it because it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is really beautiful. I like that you feel bad for it. That's I really do, nice. right? Yeah. yeah. You've got some, some empathy for the scripture. <laughs> Nice. I'm sure John and God are really appreciative for that. So I hope so. I, I hope so, too. right? That's great. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, like we said, we're, we're really excited to delve into this. So we've got, um, I mean, we're just going to have a conversation here and kind of go back and forth and, and hopefully answer some questions and delve a little bit more deeply into some themes and ideas and the scripture. And please know that, I mean, while we, we have studied this and we really, we really enjoy it, we also know that we're not the end-all, be-all yeah. expert. So this is just what we have studied and what we have found. So yeah, so Jill and I uh, have, have dug into this pretty heavy. Uh, we're taking what, what we might call a mainline or an orthodox view of the book of Revelation. Uh, it's actually probably not the one you've most encountered in broader society right now if you're listening to this in America in the 21st century. Um, historically, this is the way people have read Revelation, and, uh, and I would argue that it's the way most scholars, especially most mainline scholars, would read Revelation. However, pop culture kind of has a different take on this book. There's some stuff that we'll talk about today that became more popular, and, and certainly is the way that you've maybe heard about it. Uh, so we're going to kind of see if we can't pull back on that a little bit and, and rescue Revelation from the way that it's often understood. I love that. We are going to rescue Revelation. That's the name of the podcast, Rescuing Revelation. It's so good. For the next two weeks while we're solving Revelation, and then it'll be like, oh, we're talking about something else. This has nothing to do with Revelation. That's fine. They're going to they're gonna love it. So it'll just, it's going to stick. <laughs> uh, Bill, that's actually great. That actually um, that kind, of, kind of flows into, I mean, it, what we wanted to talk about with the millennium and the rapture. So Yeah, so with, uh, with the book of Revelation, I mean, you can't talk about Revelation without this concept of of the rapture, of uh, the millennial reign of Christ. And, and so, Jill, I want to ask, what views of the millennium uh, or what views of the rapture have you encountered? Can you give us kind of a summary of what those ideas are and then, and then what have you run into in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So rapture and millennium, I think, um, such interesting topics because we really do make that a focus. Mm-hmm. People are so, we're enamored with that because I think it's, I know, can I dare say, it's a little sexy, right, to talk about that in the scripture. No, and I mean that. I don't mean, I mean when I say it's sexy, it's just, it's exciting when we think about something, um, like, I mean, about the future, right? We're thinking about something that's so intoxicating because as Christians, we've been promised this beautiful thing, right? And so when we think about the rapture and the way that it's maybe been construed, it's been like, okay, great. If you're a Christian mm-hmm. and you're a good Christian, then we're going to zap you up to heaven at the end and some sort of like mm-hmm. crazy 
Harry Potter thing, <laughs> you know, and you got your letter and you're going to Hogwarts. I always thought it was more of a Star Trek, like, beam me up. Like, that's the way I, I pictured okay, it. Okay, that works right? too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, it just depends on what kind of nerdy, like, past literature and or thing that you connect to. So that's that's great. Um, now we understand our personalities a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, I think that part gets so misconstrued because it's so exciting. So mm-hmm. we, we talk about the rapture, which, by the way, rapture and millennium, they're mentioned twice in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all of Scripture, period. Mm-hmm. And this is what we spend probably the most amount of time mm-hmm. talking about because, once again, it's so intoxicating. So really, I mean, literally the rapture is is talking about being with, with Jesus, right, and, and meeting Jesus again and being, you know, reunited with God. And so... Um, I mean, while I do agree that's very exciting, I think that we've made it into something that is um, a little bit more exciting, possibly, than it really is. Meaning, like, we want it to be this huge, big, bombastic show. And that's not necessarily what's said in Scripture. That's not, that's not necessarily what's happening. It is going to be exciting, and it is amazing. And being reunited with Jesus is going to be incredible. I absolutely believe that he is coming back and we're reunited with him but probably not in the way that we've we've seen that. And and the millennium's the same kind of thing. There's not going to be this, you know, I think we've we've made it into this, well there's going to be beasts coming all over and there's going to be a huge dark cloud of thunder and there's going to be some sort of like apocalyptic post-apocalyptic world where we're living in bunkers or something if you didn't get to go. Right. I mean, and that's while that sounds very exciting, it's very indicative of pop culture and yeah. not what not what the scripture is actually saying. Right. There are no zombies in the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> none, none. I love The Walking Dead as much as the next guy. However, uh, that doesn't make an appearance in scripture. Uh, no, yes. But, but also this concept of, of the rapture. I mean, it comes out of the Latin word raptio, uh, which is, is taken up or taken away, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I think most Christians, probably most Orthodox Christians, have believed that Jesus will come back. I mean, that, that's pretty much consensus amongst... Orthodox scholars, mainline scholars, everybody. And we've uh, thought that for, I mean, thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that, that pretty much every Christian has had some concept of Jesus will come back. Uh, there's, there's probably some fringe movements, that's not true. However, uh, the idea that, that we would be taken out of Earth, that's the specific rapture that we're talking about here, uh, which is a little bit more of a, a new thing, and we'll talk about that in a second here. Um, but I think that idea, that Christians would escape uh, most of the book of rapture or the book of revelation and watch it because of the rapture. I think that's kind of what we need to confront or, or deal with in our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I can for sure, can for sure remember, I mentioned this last week in the, in the podcast mm-hmm. is that when I, when I read the book of revelation for the first time, I was probably maybe fourth, fifth grade or around that time. Okay. So um, this is the late seventies. The late seventies. Yes, it was. It I'm was kidding. the early twenties. <laughs> On a rainy day, yeah. um, <laughs> in the middle of the millennium, yes, in right, my bunker, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> so when I did read it, Jill's gonna kill me. <laughs> no, listen, I'm just gonna text you that you've been raptured, or whatever. I've been I don't raptured. know. I don't know. Come out right. Gosh. We need to start the podcast over because now I don't know how to burn you anymore. So that's, that's fine. Anyway, when I did read it, I was, I was younger when I read it, and I was petrified because I mm-hmm. took it quite literally, and so, and I didn't have that con, that mm-hmm. contextual background, and I didn't understand that, and so I, I would, seriously, I would come home, and if nobody was there, I would call my mom or try to get a hold of them in some way because I was petrified that mm-hmm. they all got zapped up Harry Potter style, and I got left behind, probably because 
I did something, you know, I shouldn't have done to my brother, like fed him dog food and told him it was cereal, which I definitely did. Um, so, I mean, that was feasible that I was going to be left behind that sounds, after that. That sounds on brand, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I thought. And it wasn't great. So, But I, I did have that fear, mm-hmm. and that carried through for, for a pretty long time. And mm-hmm. honestly, that kind of... That kind of thinking and that kind of reading mm-hmm. it sort of sticks with you even yeah. after you continuously read and delve more deeply into the scripture. Mm-hmm. That can be really traumatic because yeah. it's just sort of ingrained. And so somehow even like little Jill will still reappear and mm-hmm. go, what if, what if that's really true? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think that that can be a traumatic experience and has been for me mm-hmm. because, I mean, somehow it's still there. Even though I don't, I would profess that I don't believe that. Well, and I think that's true for all of us, though. Like, the things that we were scared of as a child still scare us later. It only comes out in those times that are traumatic or only comes out in those times where we're not ready for it. I mean, uh, the average adult is not afraid of the dark until they're walking through an unknown city that they don't, you know, they've never been to before and they're in a dark alley and the lights go out. And then suddenly, I think every human probably feels a little more fear. You're walking through the forest and you've never been there before and, uh, and, and it gets really dark and then you start hearing, you know, animals out in the distance you're not afraid of the dark anymore. You know there's nothing in the darkness except that kid in you still feels that fear. And I think that's probably true with, with theology that we teach to children, which is why it's so important to get this right when we're talking about educating young lives. I couldn't agree with you more on that one, <laughs> Pastor Bill. I am very, very passionate about that. But absolutely, I think, I think we tend to value the minuscule because we want it to be really exciting yeah. and sexy or whatever. You know, we want it to be exciting. And we we devalue the significant part of, mm-hmm. of the book of Revelation or the rapture, yeah. which is essentially, I mean, the most significant and most exciting part is that we're going to be reunited with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? I mean, at the end of the day, we can all agree on that. And that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so important. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like later in this, in this podcast. Um, but I want to go back a little bit to what you said about like framing the bigger picture, right? So I, uh, I grew up in a church that, a uh, fantastic church, and, and I'm still friends with the pastor, and uh, he's still at that church. He founded the church. Incredible place. I don't remember talking about Revelation as a kid, um, and maybe that was just that, you know, I, I didn't attend every single service. We had Sunday school at the same time. Uh, we didn't really cover it as a kid, uh, but I do remember encountering uh, the book of Revelation and kind of this thought of the rapture in other places. Um, so I was in, I think, I think middle school when Y2K happened, when the, you know, 2000... Uh, New Year's Eve, everybody thought the world was going to like melt down and it yes. was... Well, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Everybody got a bunch of canned food. Right. Like, there's just like, we're going to eat kidney beans for the rest of our lives <laughs> and like, like bottled water. Like looking back, it, people prepared for Y2K the way they should have prepared for 2020. It's so <laughs> true. Oh my God. Like we had it right. We were just 20 years early, guys. Come on. Uh, but, but Y2K was crazy. And, and I remember, um, I remember I couldn't figure out why my church was having a party on New Year's Eve. We'd never done that before. Now, I, I went to a great church, and, like, they'd have celebrations all the time. Um, and uh, I, I must confess, I went because there was a girl that I thought was really cute that she was going to be there because her parents worked for the church. And so I went just to be with her, and, like, it, the church was having a party. And, uh, and I get there, and there's, like, a number of people who are visibly shook and, like, wanting to be in the sanctuary praying and like super freaked out by this whole thing. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like this was a new year's Eve party. This was like, this was just a celebration. You know, and I was in middle school. So we didn't really, you know, there weren't a lot Absolutely. of other options for me. Absolutely. Like, this was my, my parents probably liked me not being at home at midnight on, you know, uh, it's 100% true. It probably still is. <laughs> <laughs> That's also 100% true. But like, I, I remember seeing people and figuring out like, what, why is everybody, 
so worked up over this? Like, what's go- Why are people so concerned that the world is going to end? Um, and, and I think it comes back to that idea that like people predicting the end of the world often predict that it's going to be violent and that if they, they don't experience this rapture thing, if they don't go away from earth with Jesus when all, it all goes down, that it's going to get really, really bad. And there's a trauma that I think a lot of people uh, live with. You know, there were, there were a lot of things that popped up around that time. And then with uh, September 11th, so shortly after that, you know, people kicked the rapture into overdrive, or kicked rapture beliefs into overdrive and revelation into overdrive. I think those two things combined mean that there's a lot of people that are kind of millennials now, or are millennials, but are, are kind of young adults now, are dealing with it, are painful theological damage from their childhood. I think that's so true, and I'm going to derail this just a little bit here because we didn't talk about talking about this. But um, I think this is a perfect time to talk about the notion of the judgment of God because I think that's also something that I remember being petrified about, right, as a yeah. child because that's okay. what I heard yeah. about yeah. the millennium and about, you know, being mm-hmm. left behind or being raptured mm-hmm. or whatever that was like. And it was because, well, you know, Jill, you fed dog food to your brother <laughs> and put milk on it and told him it was cereal, so mm-hmm. you're out, you know? And yeah. I mean, but t- even to this day, like mm-hmm. as an adult, I've had people that would still ask, you know, when they talk about mm-hmm. Revelation or we talk about heaven or whatever that looks like, you know, mm-hmm. for for us, um, they'll still say, yeah, well, what about God's judgment? Yeah. What about the judgment of God? Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, we can absolutely talk about the judgment of God. I mean, you see the judgment of God in the Bible. Uh, you see the, the perfection or uh, the purity or, or the holiness of God is kind of the, the important theological term. The God is perfect. And that we're expected uh, to, to like come into contact with that, uh, that any imperfection within us gets just melted by the power of God's perfection. However, to just focus on the judgment kind of misses like a sizable part of the New Testament about this guy named Jesus, which is kind of like the foundation of our faith. And so if you only look at the judgment of God and you miss all the mercy of God, you've missed Christianity. Like if you only were to read one book of the Bible, I hope it's not Revelation. I hope it's like one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like meet Jesus and understand the mercy and the love of God that um, the perfect God of the universe, the holy God of all creation decided to come down and be with us. For the sake of mercy, not to throw firebolts at us because of judgment. So I think there's an important distinction here. Um, they, they just, if we miss, um, we end up with a lot of damage, but we also miss the bulk of Christianity. So true. And and just, I mean, to your point, if you read those, if you read that notion and you the what the center of Christianity mm-hmm. is, is mercy and grace mm-hmm. through Jesus, Right. We see that in Revelation. I mean, in the first two sentences, maybe we have three sentences in, and John is already talking about how Jesus the Son, right, is here, and then the Holy Spirit is connected, and then God the Father, right? And so the whole book of Revelation is about the hope in Jesus Christ because he came to die for us. And we see the word judgment, and we take that, and then we miss the rest of the book when it talks about how Jesus is here. And we know, right, yeah. in terms of, if we're Christians, we profess to believe that he died yeah. for our sins so we can mm-hmm. be with God. And the whole rest of the book of Revelation mm-hmm. is like that. And so I just would caution readers when we're looking at this, and not, I don't mean to sound in a crazy way, but yeah. caution us when we read those words like judgment, we focus on those. Once mm-hmm. again, we, we value that minuscule, that mm-hmm. one or two words that we see, and then we devalue what we already know is so important, yeah. that Jesus died for us so we can be together with all you know with god and mm-hmm. and live in eternity in that way right you, you cannot get revelation without 
for expounding it in the mercy of Jesus. It just doesn't, it, it won't make sense. Absolutely. So can you identify then, um, just in which millennial visions, since we've talked so much about this, right? We've <laughs> yeah. talked about maybe what this looked like in the past for some of us mm-hmm. and how this has been probably intrinsically woven into mm-hmm. the thread of our, even our childhood if we've mm-hmm. grown up in the church, or if you haven't, this is probably what mm-hmm. you've you've seen on you know wikipedia or something or some 3.1 star movie that you watched on like a streaming device or yes. whatever right so you've probably seen those things so can you identify these millennial visions how they how they shaped our wider culture yeah so let's break down first off that idea of, of millennial uh, that, that doesn't mean you know the generation of people that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s right now millennial actually means uh it's this branch of theology talking about the millennial reign of christ the thousand year reign of christ um and it's not the only uh perspective out there so let's talk about where where that comes from and, and, and kind of how that has permeated into our world now so in the 1800s there's a guy named uh john nelson darby and he's an irish uh he's an irish priest uh in the the church of ireland um he's born in 1800 and he, he lives at 82 1882 uh, and he uh, starts this movement called uh, the millennial, called dispensationalism, which is obsessed with the millennial reign. He's also kind of the place where the idea of the rapture, as it's commonly portrayed in America, comes into history. Uh, he, so he's, he's a priest, but then he kind of breaks from uh, the church that he's part of uh, to tell everybody his opinion that, uh, that Jesus is going to come and rip all the Christians out of the earth and then basically God's going to turn up the heat on everyone who's left behind and it's going to get worse and worse and worse for all of them. So that's kind of the, the dispensationalist idea. And, and there's a lot of different branches within here. There's amillennialism and post and pre-tribulationism and, and all of this. I'm not going to get into all of that um, because one, I'm not an expert on that. And two, because I think that it's, uh, it's founded on a principle that is incorrect, which is, is kind of a false understanding of the rapture. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's where that gets into our our wider culture. If you believe that God's going to rip all the Christians out of the earth and then turn up the heat and burn it, then you view the earth as disposable. And if you see that uh, that this earth is going to end in a ball of fire at the hands of an angry God, then there's really no point in taking care of the earth. There's no point in... uh, and really getting too attached to everything because it's all going to earn or it's all going to end in smoke anyways. And so I think you end up with this concept that all of creation, all of this magical stuff that God made and, and you know, God saw it and it was good. Um, and then God entrusted to humans and said, you know, steward this, take care of it, tend it. That at some point that's going to just be erased. But then don't worry about it because right. then I'm yeah. going to blow it all up. <laughs> right. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger style. That was such a right. bad. That was a bad reference. Is there a stronger person than that? No, I think that's totally a perfect reference. Like, Terminator style or something. Well, I mean, it's it's Arnold who shows up and says, "Come with me if you want to live." Yeah. Like, what a better like if you take the rapture like in the way that it's commonly portrayed in in like American pop culture then Arnold has to play Jesus. Like, there's nobody else that could do it. I mean, what's he doing now? Is he available? I'm sure that's a 3.1 star (laughs) in the making. Like, like, come with me if you want to live it. And there's lots of explosions. Revelation, right? Revelation. So so Darby shows up in the 1800s and starts uh, this movement called the Plymouth Plymouth Brethren. Um, It's kind of a fringe movement. It doesn't really take off in Ireland, but it takes off huge in America. And, uh, and around this time, America is actually in the throes of some 
fairly turbulent times themselves. This would have been shortly after the Civil War when they arrived. This would have been uh, in Reconstruction and all of this division. And people have just seen carnage in a way they've never seen before. Remember, photography was kind of in its very earliest stages. People were seeing bodies by the thousands because for the first time you could see uh, war photographed or you could see battlefields after uh, immediately after the carnage and they looked apocalyptic. Um, the Civil War was incredibly brutal. And so you've got people living in a very dark time and they get told, hey, there's this point where Jesus is going to take all of the good people out of this and all of those bad people are going to get left behind and deal with carnage even worse than this. And, you know, you start to see how in American society and the culture that it was right then, like there was fertile ground for a little bit of that. And so in America, you end up uh, with dispensationalists kind of taking off. Now, it's interesting in most of the rest of the world, they think this theology is just crazy. I mean, if you talk to Christians in most of the world and say, uh, Jesus is going to snatch all the Christians out and then barbecue the earth, they're, they're going to say, what Bible are you reading? Like, so sad, I guess. It, and for most of history, that's been the perspective. I mean, most American Christians before the 1800s, and I would argue still, by the way, most mainline Christians and most, um, most pastors who have been to seminary are going to say, that's, that's not the Bible. And, and we'll talk about kind of the Greek and how we get there. Um, I understand how people could, uh, could desire a situation like the rapture. I disagree with it. I understand how they could desire it, but I also think that that's clearly not what the Bible is saying. Well, and I think that you're also probably dipping a little bit into the toes of the, of the, the Pharisee pool, right? Yeah. Where you've got to clean mm-hmm. the outside of your cup because if I appear to be perfect, and we mm-hmm. can, then it's great. Then I'm yeah. going to be raptured, and I yeah. can go up, and I'm not... Yeah. Staying behind for the barbecue, right? Like, I'm, right. I'm going up to a way better thing, <laughs> which is just, it causes so much fear. Yeah. And so then it's this fear mm-hmm. of, of showing any imperfections or mm-hmm. admitting a sinful nature, which we all innately have. We all innately mm-hmm. have a sinful nature, mm-hmm. which is why we need Jesus right. in the first place. And so then we kind of miss the boat, and, I mean, entirely, because then we stop needing Jesus because we think, okay, I've got this, right, on my own. Mm-hmm. So I... I that can be also just a, a fear-based yeah. type of theology that can be really traumatic and damaging as well. Well, traumatic and, and damaging to its victims, but I would argue it's equally damaging to those who are its, its adherents. I, I mean, if mm-hmm. you take this theology, it, it's really easy to start to look at yourself and say, oh, I'm, uh, I am superior to, Jesus is going to take me out and doesn't care about those people. I mean, Jesus is, is rescuing one group of people from the earth to burn the other, it kind of gives you this point of like, I'm Jesus' favorite, he doesn't love you. It's like a child saying like, I'm mom's favorite, right? Like it just, it's, it has some problems, I think, for those who hold it as well. And it can lead us down a place where we say, um, we're the only people that God cares about. And it's uh, tribalistic, it's self-righteous. And I love that you bring up the Pharisees. It's exactly what the Pharisees who killed Jesus believed. I, I mean, not in the sense of they were leading, but in the sense of they were somehow chosen and nobody else mattered to God. Um, and it can lead to some really dark consequences. 100%. Absolutely. I think that's, that's so true. And I also, I'm going to backtrack a little bit when you're talking mm-hmm. about just like caring for the earth in that way. I think you're so right. I mean, God created this earth mm-hmm. and he, and he said it, mm-hmm. it is good. Right. And he said, I mean, he's so mm-hmm. poured his mm-hmm. life, his essence mm-hmm. into the earth and to humans and said, now care for it. Yeah. So why would he take that much time? That's the question mm-hmm. to ask. Why, mm-hmm. why is this so important that there are two creation stories in <laughs> right. Genesis, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we went over it twice, right. y'all. Like we had the first time yeah. and then we had the review, in you know, case you didn't get it. 
God saw the world and it was good. Yeah, super important. <laughs> like flashing signs right here, right? Why would why would he do that? And why would the biblical writers go to the trouble of telling us how important this was by talking about it? And Adam comes up lots in the Bible. Everybody, I mean, yeah. not just yeah. not just Genesis. He's a yeah. he's kind of a mainstay character, you know. Um, and so why would he go to mm-hmm. the trouble, essentially, of doing that if mm-hmm. he didn't want us and so desperately say, hey, hey, care mm-hmm. for this because I've created this mm-hmm. for you. And so, and then why? I think that's the question we ask ourselves. Yeah. And then the other question is, then why wouldn't we continue to care for something that's so sacred? Yeah, why does it stop? Yeah. Like, does God run out of patience eventually? Like, this is, this is God. <laughs> this is, this I mean, is really? God. <laughs> There's that. Like, we've seen some pretty horrible things in history. Like, we, we, had, we had the Holocaust, right? And God was, like, able to sustain through that. But suddenly God's going to lose patience. Like, nah, I'm done with this. Let's burn it and start over. Right? And done, like Jim Carrey style in some sort of, like, I don't know. That's just what I pictured. getting really upset. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's so important. I think that's so true. Yeah. So can you go a little more in depth in this notion? You talked about in your in your sermon this mm-hmm. past week, and mm-hmm. in case someone missed it, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's that. I think you can kind of probably catch us up. But this, um, this notion of... Um, this modern emetesis. I can't say that word. Apentesis, yeah, yeah. So, there we go. Uh, so the idea, yeah, so it kind of helps explain the rapture. And really, uh, the fundamental difference between people who believe in rapture as removal of Christians and people who believe in the second coming in a more orthodox sense, uh, it really comes down to what direction people are going at a certain moment in, in a certain verse. So it, it comes out of 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.17. Um, then we were living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and that way we will always be with the Lord. And so, little context, Paul is writing to Christians um, as they're watching uh, some of their friends and some of their loved ones have died, and they're asking, hey, Paul, uh, are those people going to be with Jesus and we're not? Or are we going to be with Jesus and they're not? Like, am I going to see my loved ones again in, in eternal life? And Paul says, hey, don't worry. Like, when, when the end comes, we're all going to be together. And it's just, it's a very pastoral moment. The problem is this gets taken out of context. And, uh, and people say, we are living and still around. We'll be taken up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That taken up is, is the root of rap, rapture, raptio in Latin. Um, we will be taken up together to meet the Lord in the air. And, uh, and then he says, then we're always going to be together. Here's where the difference comes. Uh, those who believe in the rapture believe we're taken up to the Lord in the air, and then we go back with Jesus to heaven. And then all the bad stuff happens to earth. On the other side, uh, the more orthodox strand of Christianity says, we're going to meet Jesus in the air, and then Jesus is going to keep going the direction he's going, and we're going to come with him. And we're going to act um, as kind of hospitality to the world that we were entrusted with as stewards, to the kingdom of God that we're supposed to build on earth. Uh, that's you know part of the Lord's Prayer and, and pretty much everything Jesus says. Um, that We're going to come back and, and basically show Jesus, hey, here's what we've done in the meantime. Uh, let me show you around. It's this idea. So apentesis is a, is a Latin concept. It's a Greek concept. It was really just a, a concept that was necessary before uh, there were ready-made maps out there for every world, right? Um, the idea that when a dignitary like a king is touring his kingdom, that you left your city and you would wait outside on like the crossroads or outside the city walls so that when the king or the queen showed up, that you could show them around and make sure that they got a good tour of the city. Right? You didn't want them to kind of wander into the ditch or anything else. You wanted to show them the right place to go. And so apentesis is the idea that like when a, when a dignitary shows up, you go meet them and then you bring them back into your country. Um, I guess 
if I were to take that analogy farther, like if if somebody shows up at your house, like uh, you know, school just started back up, and I've seen all of my friends posting pictures of their kids going to college for the first time, right? Like. Appentesis would be uh, mom comes to visit over Christmas break. So you go down to the front desk and you meet mom and you bring her up and you show her around and everything else, right? Like that's that's the way that makes sense. Okay, I think I can help you out with this because yeah. this is absolutely what happens in my house. We're apparently yeah. very biblical and very okay. Appentesis because, okay, so my husband is a boss, just yeah. so we know. Yeah. And he built a deck, everybody. Like he yeah. was built and he watched YouTube videos essentially and that's how he built I think he, he has some experience. Don't worry, it's fine. It's <laughs> not like he just watched a YouTube video and got it. But it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, he built yeah. this beautiful deck. And we also, in our mm-hmm. quarantine mode, in Appentesis mm-hmm. quarantine, that's what I'm going to call it now, <laughs> we, he built this big garden plot yeah. box in okay. our backyard. And so we, mm-hmm. we tried quarantine gardening for mm-hmm. the first year ever and mm-hmm. something we've wanted to do for a while. Yeah. Now, though, if people are coming to our house and they're coming to, we mm-hmm. always bring them to the backyard mm-hmm. and socially distanced right now. Yeah, yeah. He'll come in and he'll always, I watch him do it because I'm mm-hmm. perpetually not ready when everybody gets there. I know it's not a shock. <laughs> I'm very typical in that way. <laughs> I'm just not ready. So, but I'll watch him. He'll go and he'll kind of give them this little tour of the deck. Right. He'll kind of show them around all the places and this happened and mm-hmm. this happened. And then he always goes out and brings them to the garden. Every yeah. single time he points mm-hmm. out the very specific vegetables. Mm-hmm. I know it's happening because I've seen him do it a million times. Right. He gives you a cucumber. Come <laughs> to your house. You'll get a cucumber, everybody. It's a parting gift. And so that's, I mean, it's this epic because he's so proud of it because we spent so much time on it and Mm -hmm. he did especially because he cared for it and he nurtured it and he built that on his own. And he's like, I did this. Mm -hmm. And he is so excited to share Mm -hmm. that with people and to, to share that in that joy. And so that's so much so what I see this in this appentesis, right, of, right. of Jesus coming. And we're, it's like my husband showing around people to the deck. We're going to show Jesus around. This is what we did. Right. And we're so excited to share in that joy. Like, that's such a perfect analogy for like the, 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 what Paul's getting at in Thessalonians and really what the whole kingdom of God theology of Jesus is about, which is the very first thing he preaches. Repent and believe the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we are going to be working on this kingdom of God. Um, that we're saved by grace, but that, that we work on the kingdom of God with our, our spare time in our life, right, or our, our, the time given to us. Um, and that we are we are getting this chance to show Jesus, here's all the, the crazy stuff. Like, let me tell you about this person. Let me show you that thing, right? All of the, all of that beautiful imagery. The rapture misses that. And it's almost like instead of, you know, somebody comes over to the house and Marshall's in the garden. Instead, it's like somebody comes to the house, he opens the door and walks out and they walk in and, and like, he goes for a drive in their car, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't uh, make sense. Which he right? also does. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, like it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to make sense. Like, why? Why go through all of uh, creation, care, and stewardship? Why go through all the kingdom of God if we're just going to take off once Jesus shows back? Like that. That to me is, is the fundamental difference in Orthodox theology versus Rapture theology. Um, when we meet Jesus in the air, do we welcome Jesus back into the work that Jesus has entrusted us that began a long time ago, but eternal life is is currently in session, or um, do we escape? So that something that seems like a divergence from the course of salvation mm-hmm. history can happen. And that's not it. What it, We've heard it here, mm-hmm. folks, right here first. Is there, <laughs> Jesus is coming back and we're giving him a cucumber. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's that's going to be great. I Oh, man. I don't like vegetables, so I, I hope we can do better than that. Oh, like, well, they'll get you some kale. You can make it into chips. I could also make it into animal feed and get like a... A better option at the end of okay that, right? we digress <laughs> we digress everybody yeah abs- but I, absolutely that's what it's absolutely yeah. what you're saying and that's yeah. exactly why would we not be so proud and excited to share right. in that joy and yeah. that's i love that so much that's a great analogy so then how can we better understand 
we're talking about the kingdom of God. You mm-hmm. mentioned that, right? We talk about it in the Lord's mm-hmm. Prayer. We talk, I mean, it's, it's yeah. mentioned so many times throughout Scripture. So how can we better understand that even or further understand mm-hmm. it by mm-hmm. studying Revelation? Mm-hmm. And then what does that mean for us now? Yeah, yeah. so the kingdom of God is this, this really crucial idea. And if, uh, if we miss the kingdom of God, um, we're going to have a hard time understanding a lot of the context of the Bible. So the very first thing that Jesus preaches when he shows up is repent and believe the kingdom is near. The kingdom of God has come near, or is near, or is available now. Uh, I think it was Tolstoy who translated it, the kingdom of God is among you or is within you. And it's kind of this idea like, hey, the way that we can do life now is different. Jesus shows up to say there's a new, there's a new option for you. Uh, so, you know, we, we have a hard time with this in America because we don't have a kingdom. Like, we have, we have a president, we have a senate and, and a house and everything, but we don't, like, we don't have a kingdom. Uh, so in America, uh, you can really disagree pretty heavily with politicians. People do all the time. But in a true kingdom, a true hard monarchy, whatever the king says goes. Like, a kingdom, really, you could argue that the definition of a kingdom is a kingdom is just the effective uh, dominion of the king's will where it's as far as the king's desires um, become your desires or, or are enforced. And so when Jesus says uh, the kingdom of God has come near, he's saying like, all right, there's a new kingdom where, uh, where we're going to live the way that God wants us to live. And, uh, and the kingdom is something that exists, coexists with the rest of the world, uh, that even though we live in America, or maybe you live somewhere else, right, like in a, in a different country, even though you live in a country that's probably not a Christian theocracy, you have the option of living the way that Christ would have us live. And that's the kingdom of theology, right? The, the idea of the kingdom of God, that we might live the way God would have us live on earth by choice right now. And that makes me think of, bear with me if you haven't seen the musical Hamilton, but it's phenomenal and you should and watch and you should it. stop listening to us and go watch And go, that. yes. It's so stop, good. Pause yeah. right now, go watch Hamilton. It's on so Disney good. Plus. It's going to be great. Or you can also find just the music on mm. pretty much anything that you could listen to for free. And that's the whole thing. But it makes yeah. me think of um, the crazy king that now I can't think George of. George Thank you, George III, which we all, yeah. when I say crazy, I mean he really Literally. did have mental incapacities. Yeah. Um, and so, and he was just so expectant mm-hmm. that everybody yeah. would just do what he wanted to do, yeah. right? Like in mm-hmm. a forceful way, mm-hmm. right? And it was damaging to people. But when we came to America, right, or we came, right? And mm-hmm. the, the concept that Hamilton shows us mm-hmm. is that we're like, hey, this is the way that we're meant to live. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, I yeah, mean, yeah. that's like a loose space yeah, of yeah. like what an, an analogy could be here for mm-hmm. it. But they're saying, this is the way we're meant to live. Mm-hmm. We invite you to live in the kingdom in this way where you're not, mm-hmm. you're not persecuted, you're not shunned, you're not, yeah. you know, we're building, we're working together to build something thing where we have equality mm-hmm. and we have you know like mm-hmm. the pursuit of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. you know and so and that makes me think of like this kingdom of of god right yep. and that's what we were we were striving for and mm-hmm. where king george who's a little mm-hmm. a little nutso um he he was more like a draconian nope yeah. this is what i want yeah. you know and that's i mean that was so different too because that's what people at the time knew and that's mm-hmm. why christianity was also so radical yeah, I mean, and, and the guy who does King George, is, it's a masterful performance. And True. Hamilton, but he even points out, like, you can see in his action, like, he is confused by the concept that somebody might do something he didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just, there's no schema in his head that you would not follow the king, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which, is, which is fascinating, I think, for us. Uh, what's also interesting, I didn't realize you were going to bring up Hamilton, but... <laughs> no, sorry, but, that was out of nowhere. No, 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 it's perfect, because I, 
there's a, and I apologize, my history's a little shoddy here. Uh, I can't quite remember all the details. Um, but the the concept of, of choice is so important in the kingdom of God, that we choose God's will. God doesn't force it, but we choose God's will. Um, what's interesting is after the Revolutionary War, Alexander Hamilton, who's a war hero, who uh, is one of the, the founding fathers of America, uh, actually allies America with England occasionally. Now, sometimes they, they go with France, but France and England are in conflict. Um, and there are times where, where he will cause uh, America to work in, English, uh, in England's best interests by choice, even though he has rejected the King of England. And I, I think there's kind of that idea here that sometimes as Christians, uh, we follow the kingdom of God even when it's against the kingdom of wherever you live, that is different, and that we have this choice in these overlapping kingdoms that allows us to live differently. Yeah. It's so true. I love that. Yeah. Way to, way to save my analogy, too. That was great. Hamilton needs no saving. That's really uh, true. That's really true. It does, <laughs> it does not. For real. I can't say enough about it. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, um, so absolutely. But then what does this mean for us now? I mean, we can obviously learn mm-hmm. a lot about the kingdom of God. We see it in scripture. We mm-hmm. see it kind of displayed mm-hmm. a little bit more mm-hmm. in Revelation. We dig, we dig deeper, though. But what what can we, we glean from it now? Because obviously John's writing to a group of people at the time. Yeah. But it's still meant for us yeah. today. So it's meant for them and it's meant for us. Um, and, and sometimes we read Revelations, it's just like it's a prediction of the future. And when it's a prediction of the future, then you're starting to look at like every possible sign that it's here, right? Because you want to know, like, is the rapture here yet? Uh, so when, when you take that perspective of, of its future and not for now, then uh, then you end up with kind of your head in a different space. By the way, anyone, everyone who has predicted the end of the world in the past, which there has been several human beings who have done this, some, <laughs> of, which, some yeah. of which were pastors, can yeah. we all agree? Yep. They yep. have all been 100% wrong so far. So. Pretty bad success rate so yeah, far. Not yeah, not going great. Yeah, like the guys who try to turn lead to gold are doing better than the guys who try to predict <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> and that is how you know you're winning. Though I, I think I'm going to go with 2020. Like just some... I, I'm going to go with someday in 2020, like, for the end of the world. Like, there's just, <laughs> like, it, it seems likely, right? Well, yeah. pick a number, man. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's doing that. So, so there's this concept, like, is, is Revelation for, for later or for now? Is it just about the future or is it about today, too? And so I think when we, when we look at the kingdom of God and this idea, the theological term is inaugurated eschatology, that uh, the kingdom of God is available now, that you can start living it, that it's inaugurated, but it hasn't taken all the power yet. Um, I think that's important. It helps us understand how we live. So Revelation points towards um, towards things that are yet to come, but in a way that might impact how we live today, right? And uh, the analogy I used uh, last Sunday and also that I'm using this coming Sunday is, uh, is Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And, uh, you know, you, you might have read the story, you've heard the story at least. Middle of the night, this guy named Ebenezer Scrooge goes on a journey and he, uh, he meets the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And he kind of sees where he's at but also what things might look like with the intention that he might change how he lives now. And it's like, hey, here's, what, here's what's happening or here's what's going to happen or might happen, not foreordained, not predestined, but like here's where things are in the future with the intention that he might come back to the present and begin to live differently. And I think Revelation also tells us like, hey, uh, there, there's some things that are true for the future. Like God's going to reign forever, right? Like Jesus is coming back. There's some important things mm-hmm. um, that are important not just for someday in the future, but they change how we live today. Right, and I, I know I read this the last time, but I think it's so important that Revelation um, eleven fifteen comes up again when it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord 
and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the way that they actually mm-hmm. put that is they already, I mean, the scripture yeah. says, if you read it in the grammar and context, mm-hmm. is that it, it has come. It's yeah. here. So the kingdom of God is here, so let's start living it now. Yeah. Not, not later, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, we don't have to, yes, then too, but right now. And that's so hopeful mm-hmm. and so incredible because we do we do get to do that, right? We get to continuously build the kingdom of God, which goes back into, right, caring for the earth, which he talked about, and caring for our bodies and our neighbors and, you know, loving people and making this a place that we're really excited to show Jesus around when he comes back and hand him a cucumber. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But, I mean, like, we're so excited for those things because we're already, we're building that now, and that is our charge. That's our mission. So, Jill, I hear it in your voice. Tell me, where do you see the hope in this? Oh my gosh, this is so hopeful. This book, I can't, I know I've also said this, but this book is one of my all-time faves. I'm going to throw it down maybe in the top two. Um, And it's, it is confusing because it seems like there's a lot of destruction. But the point is that there is a lot of destruction. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's evil in the world. That's, we know that to be Mm -hmm. true, don't we? But what makes, that makes the hope all the better. Yeah. And all the more precious yeah. to us that we have this. So when John was writing this to his constituents at the time and to mm-hmm. the churches who were going through so much, right? Mm-hmm. This persecution that was horrible. And we talked mm-hmm. about that last week in that last episode, right? And the, what they were going through with, with mm-hmm. Domitian and all that, right? They were going through destruction. And we are too. We can look around at 2020. People <laughs> say, right, this is, this is horrible. How, how much worse could, get the, could this get? And that's mm-hmm. what we ask. But then we look at it and say, but we have the hope. We have Jesus, and he already has the kingdom of God is here, mm-hmm. and he does reign. He's currently mm-hmm. reigning in the earth, and we can attach to that, and that makes it so much more precious. Yeah. I think that's key. I, uh, I love that. I want to end on that that message of hope, and that's so huge. So, um, Jill, fantastic thoughts. Any, any other thought that you want to have uh, before we wrap up this episode? No, thank you so much. Hopefully you're listening. Um, I know <laughs> my mom definitely listened, so thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not our moms, we also appreciate you listening. Nope, only <laughs> and, um, this is This has been great. We do appreciate you, and we appreciate – I appreciate the chance to get to talk this with you, Bill. Likewise, Jill. Uh, so we are going to uh, wrap up now. Next uh, episode or next sermon, we're talking about um, where do we find God's hope in the midst of kind of some of those most – intimidating or scary images we'll call the tribulation so we're gonna talk about that next week um hope you'll join us for that Ooh, are we gonna talk about the antichrist maybe a little bit hey join us we'll talk to you then see you then take care